and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here, your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred, and that theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater, and uh, we are continuing this week on our third act of Sweeney Todd and the String of Pearls. This is our uh, dark, bloody thriller of uh, Thanksgiving uh, holidays. It's our way of celebrating the month of November. Always a little bit of reprise of uh, dark fiction. They just can't quite stuff all of it in October, sort of like a overstuffed Thanksgiving turkey. Something like that. Um, this episode's released on Black Friday, which doesn't mean really a lot to me. Um, you wouldn't catch me dead at the mall or anything. Uh, but if you are tempted to give the gift of audio this season, if you've got some audio lovers in your life, there are a few ways you can uh, do that and support this show. Uh, one way um, that directly benefits you, if you go to audibletrial.com, audibletrial.com forward slash radiodrama, um, you get a free 14-day trial of Audible. Um, you can also give a gift subscription to Audible, which is great for audio listener lovers in your life. Um, pieces like what you're about to hear today, uh, Sweeney Todd at the String of Pearls, um, Blackstone audio titles are plenty of them available on Audible, um, as well as other work by the master Yuri Rosovsky, including the Maltese Falcon, St. Joan, um, 2000X, the Odyssey, all kinds of great stuff. You can also purchase this stuff from Blackstone Audio directly, of course, and they have a bunch of audiobook deals. Um, I'm throwing some Black Friday links on my website, and they've got some holiday gift guide links. That's all up at radiodramarevival.com. And I'm surely not going to shy away with you uh, sending some money directly to the show. Um, any, any, you know, anything you want to support uh, will does, does go directly to things like uh, podcast hosting um, equipment, uh, keeping the lights on at my home studio, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, you know, if you if you feel a little bit of warm fuzziness in your heart for the art of audio drama, love to help you support by heading up radiodramarevival.com and sending what you'd like. Um, or you know, uh, this is this is a free gift. Another gift you can do is share this with a friend and get them hooked on audio drama. There are plenty of shows out there in this podcast over the years. And um, I would love that as much as anything um, to have you share your love for audio drama. So uh, yeah, so anyways, Sweeney Todd. Um, we have heard the story develop over the last few weeks. Uh, we've met the demon barber. We have seen his, his, it progress. We've seen some of his victims. Um, we are now starting to see our hero's little boy and a mysterious stranger uh, getting to the bottom of this whole mystery with the meat pies. So um, here we go. Uh, Sweeney Todd and String of Pearls by Yuri Rosovsky. Um, thanks much to Blackstone Audiobooks, blackstoneaudio.com for letting us broadcast this. At that period, the follies and vices of the nobility were somewhere about as great as they are now. Consequently, extravagance on many occasions induced troublesome sacrifice of money, and it was found extremely convenient to apply to a man of the name of John Mundell. I wish to know, Mr. Mundell, if you're inclined to lay under an obligation a rather illustrious lady by helping her out of a little bad loaf, a pecuniary difficulty. An exceedingly wealthy person who was reported to make immense sums of money by lending to the nobility and others what they required on emergencies at enormous rates of interest. <laughs> 
I should have myself accommodated the illustrious lady with the sum of money she requires, but as I could not do so without encumbering some estates, she positively forbade me to think on. In point of fact, John Mundell was nothing more than a pawnbroker on a very extensive scale. Certainly, certainly. She is a very illustrious lady, I presume. Oh, very illustrious indeed. But it must be a condition of this transaction, if you at all enter on, that you are not to inquire precisely who she is, nor are you to inquire precisely who I is. <laughs> Am. This is not my wanted way of conducting business, but if everything else be satisfactory, I shan't cavil at that. Oh, very good. By everything else being satisfactory, I presume you mean the security offered. Why, yes, that is of great importance, my lord. I informed the illustrious lady that as the affair was to be wrapped up in something of a mystery, the security must be extremely ample. That's a very proper view to take of the matter, my lord. Uh, therefore, the illustrious lady placed in my hands security to a third greater amount than she requires. Certainly, certainly. A very proper arrangement, your grace. <laughs> May I ask the nature of the proffered security? Jewels. Oh, highly satisfactory an unexceptionable security. They go into a small space and do not deteriorate in value. And if they do deteriorate in value, <laughs> it will make no difference to you, for the illustrious person's honor will be committed to their redemption. I do not doubt that in the least, Your Grace. I merely made the remark incidentally, quite incidentally. Of course, of course, of course. I trust before going further that you are quite in a position to enter into this subject? Most assuredly, I am. And I am proud to say, to any amount, Show me the money's worth, Your Grace, and I will show you the money. That's my way of doing business. No one can say that Jan Mundel ever shrunk from a matter that was brought fairly before him and that he considered worth his going into. Oh, it was by hearing such a character of you that I was induced to come here. <laughs> 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 so, so, what do you think of these? Well, I humbly beg your grace's pardon. How much money does your grace require on these pearls? Twelve thousand quid. Uh, pounds is their current value. If a sale of them was enforced, eight thousand are required of you on their security. Oh, eight thousand is a large sum. <clears throat> As a general thing, uh, I lend but half of the value upon anything. But in this case, to oblige your grace and the illustrious personage, I do not, of course, hesitate for one moment, but shall for one month lend the required amount. That will do. <laughs> in what name, your grace, shall I draw a check upon my banker? In the name of uh, Colonel George. To be sure, to be sure. If your grace will give me an acknowledgement for 8,000, and please to understand that at the end of a month from this time, the transaction will be renewed if necessary. I will give you a check for 7,500 pounds. Why 7,500 only when you mention 8,000? The 500 is my legal commission upon the transaction. 
Your grace will perceive that I appreciate highly the honor of your grace's custom and consequently charge the lowest possible price. I can assure your grace I could get more for my money by a great deal, but the pleasure of being able to meet your grace's views is so great that I am willing to make a sacrifice. And therefore it is that I say 500 when really I ought to say a thousand, taking into consideration the great scarcity of money at the present juncture. I can assure your grace that Oh, peace, peace, peace. Give me the money, and if it be not convenient to redeem the jewels at the end of a month from this time, you will hear from me most assuredly. I am quite satisfied of that. <laughs> there you are, your grace. I need scarcely urge upon you, Mr. Mundell, the propriety of keeping this affair profoundly secret. <laughs> Indeed, you need not, Your Grace, for discretion and caution are part of my business. I should very soon have nothing to do in my line, Your Grace, <laughs> may depend on it, if I were to talk loosely. Nay, this transaction will forever remain locked up in mine own breast, and no living soul but Your Grace and I need know what has occurred. With this, John Mundell showed his visitor to his carriage with abundance of respect. And in two minutes more, the latter was traveling along towards town with what might be considered a small fortune in his pocket. As I sat at the cafe, I said to myself, They may talk as they please about what they call pelf, They may sneer as they like about eating and drinking, But help it, I cannot, I cannot help thinking How pleasant it is to have money, hey-ho! How pleasant it is to have money! The best of the tables and the best of the fare and as for the others, the devil may care. It isn't our fault if they dare not afford to sup like a prince and be drunk as a lord. So pleasant it is to have money, hey-ho! So pleasant it is to have money. I drive through the streets and I care not a damn. The people, they stare and they ask who I am. And if I should chance to run over a cab, I can pay for the damage if ever so bad. So pleasant it is to have money, hey-ho! So pleasant it is to have money. They may talk as they please about what they call pelf, and how one ought never to think of oneself. Our pleasures of thought surpass eating and drinking. My pleasure of thought is the pleasure of thinking. How pleasant it is to have money, hey-ho! How pleasant it is to have money! One day, shortly thereafter, 
Tobias was listlessly walking along the streets, looking perfectly haggard and careworn, when all of a sudden... Hello, my lad. Stop a moment. Hey, where'd you come from? Did I not see you at the shop of Sweeney Todd? Do you not reside there? What's it to you? Is he not a kind master to you that you seem so unhappy? No. Yeah. I mean, I ain't got nothing to tell. Let me pass on. Fear not. I am a friend of Miss Joanna. Huh. I knows all Miss Joanna's friends, and you ain't one of them. Well, then, I'm also a friend of Hector. Huh. If you're such a chum of his, why do you leave him to die on the street? Well, I... Uh, Let me pass on, I say. Uh, hold, my lad. Here's a guinea for you, if you will tell me what became of the man of the seafaring appearance who was Hector's master. Keep your guinea. Todd will see us. I ain't saying nothing to nobody about nothing what I don't know nothing about. Come, I will make it worth your while. How came he to leave Hector behind Let him? Let me go about my business. If Todd sees me talking to you... Very well. As you are inaccessible to fair means, I must resort to others. Let go of me on! You shall come with me at once before a magistrate. That will force you to speak out. What the devil, I will! Ow! My sin! Leave me be! Leave me be! It wasn't long following this incident that a placard appeared in the window of Sweeney Todd's shop. It read, Wanted a lad. One of strict religious principles preferred. Apply within. Eventually, it came to pass that the expression on Sweeney Todd's face excited the suspicions of Mrs. Lovett that all was not exactly as it should be, and that the mysterious bond of union that held her and the barber together was not in that blooming state that it once had been. You seems wondrous smug of late, Sweeney Todd. Smug, is it? Aye. Does it have anything to do with that splendid new suit in your wardrobe? You stays out of me wardrobe. Nobody's snooping in your bloody wardrobe. It's standing wide open for all to see, isn't it? You've been drinking again. You never is so disagreeable as you went out the brandy. I needs it for me bloody palpitations. <sighs> I own our business begins to mislike me. For heaven, you're a delicate bird. <laughs> it don't bother you what we've been doing. Why should it? For your enlightenment, I sleep deep and peaceful every night that you are here buzzing in me ear. <sighs> what are you up to, Sweeney Todd? Oh. I warrant something's rumbling around in that bloody head of yours. I wish I could fathom what you're thinking. Nothing that concerns you, mistress. <laughs> Keep your bloody secrets, then. I may have some secrets of my own. If they secrets, why don't you shut up about them? Aren't you at all curious? Perhaps me fortunes are so improved that I can call quits to our bloody little partnership. Oh, quit it then and hold your tongue. Now, Sweeney Todd, if I dissolves our business situation, I shall have the bloody courtesy of giving you me bloody notice so you can make your bloody adjustments. There's only bloody fair play. Oh, spare me the pillow lecture. Perhaps that evil smirk on your ugly mug, that suit in your wardrobe and that elegant new periwig on your dressing table... 
means that your fortunes has taken a major turn for the better. Oh, many things is possible, Mrs L. I hopes if you purposes to pack off a bit of things, you'll not forget to present me a fair share of the takings. Do you not trust me? Not when nothing's stopping you from sneaking off with all the swag. Oh, you can ease your mind on that score, Mrs L. <laughs> Even if I'd come into some pelf, and I ain't so nice, it ain't practicable for me to toddle off all of a sudden without first tidying up all me affairs. What bloody affairs are you got which requires tidying up. Well, I have to clear the road to me retirement. I don't want to leave no malicious tongues a-wagging behind me back afore I get outside the reach of the law. What tongues? Surely not mine. Oh, surely not. <laughs> You'd be well advised to alert me about any plan you has along the skipping outline. We got accounts to settle. Oh, you'd learn about it quick enough, Mrs L. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> How sweet it'll be never to endure that bloody laugh of yours again. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy me a house in Paris and settle me weary bones in the lap of luxury. Oh, that's all right for a woman. But I ain't ready for idleness. What will you do then? Well, I've always... Had a hankering for the sea. To, to buy me a ship, hire me a crew, and sail the Caribbean as a pirate. A pirate? <laughs> oh, Sweeney Todd! <laughs> you was ever an enterprising cove! <laughs> It is of good ale to you I'll sing. And to good ale I'll always cling. I like me mug filled to the brim. And I'll drink up all that you can bring. Oh, good ale, thou art my darling. Thou art my joy both night and morning. If we were to say that Colonel Jeffrey was satisfied with the state of affairs as regarded the disappearance of his friend Thornhill, or that he had made up his mind now to wait contentedly until chance or the mere progress of time blew something of a more defined nature in his way, we should be doing that gentleman a very great injustice. To Captain Horatio Rathburn, the Hotel Royal Oak, Liverpool. My dear Captain, this is to inform you that I have been keeping watch upon the premises of Mr. Sweeney Todd and been dogging his steps whenever he leaves same. From my observations, I conclude that he must have the pearls hidden somewhere in his house. So confirmed am I in my suspicion that I have resolved upon a cunning plan of operation. I shall go disguised and get shaved at Todd's shop. In civilian costume, and with a full day's growth of beard upon my face, I have every confidence that he will not recognize me. I shall employ a subterfuge that will excite him to reveal himself to me in his true colors. I shall then take appropriate measures to deliver him to the authorities, along with proofs of his nefarious deeds. A thorough search of his establishment will doubtless yield the missing gems. I will personally take possession of same, that they may pass from the worshipful hands of your humble servant into the delicate and, I hope, suitably grateful hands of the lovely Miss Oakley. 
Thou art my darling, thou art my joy, both night and morning. <laughs> Dear Joanna, say not so. But it is so, Arabella. Colonel Geoffrey is an unmitigated booby. I, I don't credit it. He can't be. According to my novels... I fear your novels have misinformed you. But he has as much as admitted that he loves you, which accords with the precedents I have consulted. Furthermore, he fits all the qualifications of a brave, sagacious, selfless, devoted and very marriageable protector. Do you know what he told me? He said, I know little of the world and can understand little of its wickedness. Why, the cheek! He called me weak and inefficient. Inefficient? But I am dashed. Thoroughly dashed. Oh, please regain your composure, Arabella, and assist me to concert upon a plan. I shall try, Joanna. I shall try. Oh, dear me. Oh. What about this young friend of yours, Tobias, Todd's boy? Had we not thought to enlist him as our spy on his master? I fear Tobias cannot even help himself, for he has disappeared without a trace. In all probability, his master kidnapped him, or worse... At any rate, a placard adverting to an opening for an assistant has reappeared in Sweeney Todd's window. Has it indeed? If faith, Joe, perhaps Tobias has aided us after all. In what way? By disappearing. Eh? It could be possible for you or I to accomplish the object of spying on Sweeney Todd. You or I? How? By going disguised to him and accepting the assistant situation for a period of about 24 hours. Ooh, nay, uh, 36, in case... Oh, nay, too dangerous. But 12 will not suffice. Let us say for a limited duration and progress to the ensuing thought you wish to express. Well, during that limited duration, some opportunity might be taken of searching in his house for some evidence of Mark and Gestry. Could either of us counterfeit a lad? Certainly. Why, just consider Portia and Rosalind and Viola. These are friends of yours. Virtuous maidens, heroines in my books. Have a care, Arabella. Your novels have already led you astray. Ah, but these are women of Shakespeare. Shakespeare? Well, that makes all the difference. Indubitably. Then I shall undertake the deception myself. I blush to say so, Arabella, but your bosom is too ample to escape attention, even trussed tightly under loose garments. Alas, I must own to the fault. But how am I to provide myself with the necessary reconnaissance? Be at rest upon that score. My cousin Albert and you are as nearly of a size as possible. He will be staying here shortly, and I will secrete from his wardrobe a suit of clothes which I am certain will answer your purpose. Each moment, Arabella, the plan assumes to my mind a better shape. If Sweeney Todd be innocent of contriving anything against the life of those who seek his shop, I have nothing to fear. If, on the contrary, he be guilty, danger to me would be the proof of such guilt. 
and that is a proof which I am willing to hazard. Besides, at any moment, if great danger should beset me, I can rush into the street and claim protection from the passers-by. Moreover, Joanna, if you went on with such a mission, remember you go with my knowledge, and that consequently I would bring you assistance if you appeared not at the hour specified for your return. And if I am too late to prevent his harming you, rest assured that I shall look to it that you are avenged. Upon the whole, Joanna Oakley felt much comforted by her visit. Despair, which had formerly had possession of her, had given way to hope. With that natural feeling of joyousness and that elasticity of mind which belongs to the young, she began to build in her imagination some airy fabric of future happiness. <laughs> You're particularly jolly this day, Mr. W. I can't help laughing, Mr. Todd. <laughs> I have come away from home on the sly, you see. The fact is, my wife's cousin, Mr. Mundell. Mundell? Oh, I think you've cut me. Oh, no, 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 no. We, we can't cut nobody three aprons, sir. <laughs> oh, very good, very good. Well, as I was saying, my wife's cousin, Mr. Mundell, came to our house last night and brought with him a string of pearls, you see. Fancy that, a string of pearls. He wanted me to go to the city this morning with him, to round in Bridget, the court jewellers, and ask them if they had seen him before. Beauties, was they? Oh, brilliant. You see, Mundell lends money. And he didn't like to go himself. So he asked me to go, as Mr. Round knows me very well. And between you and me, Mr. Tall, my wife's cousin thinks they belong once upon a time to some great lady. Oh, indeed. Aye, and as it won't do to say too much to women, I told me wife I was going over the water, you see, and just popped out. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the pearls in my pocket. Mundell says they are worth 12,000 pounds at least. <laughs> oh, <laughs> probably you can get more for them in Holland. <laughs> so could I for all that. You has him with you, sir? Uh -huh. oh, well, 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 well. How odd the way things come round, to be sure. <laughs> to be sure. I think I'll just give you another lather, sir, before I polish you off. To a starving man, and one who seemed completely abandoned of hope, Lovett's Bakehouse, with an unlimited leave to eat as much as possible, must, of course, present itself in the most desirable and lively colours. No wonder that, banishing all scruple, a man so pleased would take the situation with very little inquiry. Ugh, damn these pies. In faith, I cannot eat another one of them. But people will tire of good things. Tis a remarkably well-authenticated fact that human nature ever leans towards discontent. 
A plagont. I must find some way out of here, if only to get a decent meal. It was with such a feeling as this that he now set about taking a careful and accurate survey of the place. Taking a little lamp in his hand, he began to peer into every corner of it. Hello. What's this? Is it? I... Writing on the wall. In blood. Whatever unhappy wretch reads these lines may bid adieu to the world and all hope. In sooth, who would read these lines who had not abandoned hope ere setting foot in this tomb? Abandon hope all ye who enter here. Aye, this is hell. That sound again seems to emanate from the meat chamber. Hang it if the chamber has not been restocked since this morning, but... But how? Perhaps... Uh, behind this door. <gasps> Bodies. Human corpses. Strewn about like discarded mannequins. Hung from the rafters like sides of beef. Uh, a god. Probably Sweeney Todd had been, for the greater part of his life, aiming at the possession of extensive pecuniary resources. No doubt, by the aid of a superior intellect and a mind full of craft and design, he had managed to make others subservient to his views. Now that those views were answered and his underlings and accomplices were no longer required, they became positively dangerous. He subscribed to that cold-blooded policy which teaches that it is safer to destroy than to cast away the tools by which a man carves his way to power and fortune. What's wrong now, Todd? The oven's again, is it? It's shaving share and working proper. What's wrong with it? It won't roll over when I pause the lever. Mm. You must be giving it quite a workout. The mechanical devices I manufacture never break down. You made it, you fix it. Not without a consideration. I'm a man of business, you know. Of course, of course. Now get on with it. In advance. I had a devil of a time getting you to pay me for building and installing it. If I hadn't threatened to expose your little side line. Oh, very well, very well. Here. Now, hurry. My shop opens in half hour. Uh, let me see now. For Evan, what a clever contraption we have here. Oh. One of my best. A piece of the flooring turns upon a center. When a belt is withdrawn by means of the lever in your parlor, the chair swings completely round, and its twin on the undersurface comes up ready for the next customer. If you finished admiring your handicraft, suppose you get on with it? Blimey, you're a crabbed cove. Go work the lever. Half a mo. I'm pulling the lever now. Look, see? Nothing happens. Mm. 
She's stuck all right. You keeping her oiled up like I told you? Oiled up and cleaned regular. Could be wharf floorboards. Yeah. Sit in a chair and wiggle round a bit. See if she feels snug to you. Nay. If anything, she feels a mite loose. How long she been stuck like this? Well, ever since I rigged up this here push button in the floor. Which push button? This one! <laughs> well, that'd be one less tongue to worry over. <laughs> what do you want? You are in need of a lad, sir. To mind your shop, I suppose. I shall be glad to take the situation. You don't seem likely to want such a place. Who and what are you? I am an orphan. I was left in the care of a mother-in-law. I don't like her. She was cruel to me and I ran away. Where from? Oxford. Oxford? Oxford? Then nobody knows you're in London, I suppose, me little lad. No one. If I don't get something to do, I shall have to go back, which I don't like the idea of at all. I'd rather be anything in London than go back to Mrs. Green. Green, eh? And what's your name? Charlie Green, of course. You see, my name's the same as hers because she married my father. Uh, hark you, me lad. I feels disposed to take you on account of your friendless condition. I feels for you. I does. I'm an orphan myself, that's a fact. <laughs> and I, I, I'm a poor orphan myself, with nothing but my strong sense of religion to support me. I'll um, take you on trial. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Oh, don't mention it. Your duties will consist of running, fetching, tidying, and minding the shop if I happens to be absent. You'll have six months a day, but nothing else from me. Out of that, you provide yourself with food, and the cheapest and the best thing you can do is to go always to Lovett's in Bell Yard and have yourself a pie for your dinner. <laughs> You'll sleep at night here in the shop, run messages, see and hear much, but if you gossips about me and my affairs, I'll cut your blooming throat. You may depend upon me, sir. I'm only too happy in being taken into the service of such a respectable gentleman. Respectable gentleman. <laughs> oh. Nothing appears to be broken. Oh, oh, me back feels like it's broke in pieces, like a jar of plate. Peace, peace, lad. Oh. You must remain still until you fully recover from your misadventure. Oh. You're very fortunate. You fell some 20 feet, but the heap of corpses below you broke your fall. Oh, blimey, I've advanced enough dead folks. Aye, and had I not dragged you out of the room in the nick of time, a fresh cadaver would have fallen upon you and crushed you. Oh, thanks, mister. Where am I? This is the bakehouse of the Lovett Pie Manufactory. And who are you? Well, the manufacturer. That is, I am the man who mixes and bakes the pies. Oh, you don't say so. You're a cove I've always wanted to shake hands with. Your pies is the rummest I ever ate. I save your praise, lad. I only operate the automata that make the collations. How did I get here? 
Apparently, you spilled out of some sort of revolving mechanism above. I know it's there. I mean, one minute I'm in the shop of Sweeney Todd, and the next I'm below Mrs. Lovett's, a block away. The vault is quite extensive. Apparently, by its means, the two shops communicate. I'll warrant that it belongs to the labyrinthian caverns under the city that date from Roman times. Right mysterious this is. And sinister as well, I oh. fear. You put the right name on. Hark ye, mister. Me master, this here barber Sweeney Todd, is a regular hanging chains. A murderous rogue. I've always suspected as much, and now I know for sure. He got a trick shaving chair, you see. If he's shaving a client, what got any goods on him, bang! The client drops through the floor, and the swag drops in Mr. Todd's purse. Diabolical. What do you fancy? Binds a gallow bird like Todd, a bunch of dead blokes, and Mistress Lovett, the pie lady. Obviously, the chamber in which I found you is a secret repository for your master's victims. It is also some sort of work room. For I discovered there a long table, and numerous tools hanging from the walls. What kinds of tools? Curious ones, I vow. All manners of saws and blades and knives. Of the sort a chirurgeon might employ, or a... Or... Or a butcher. Joanna found herself in the situation she had coveted, namely to be alone in the shop of Sweeney Todd and to be able to make what examination of it she pleased. Charlie! <gasps> Aye, sir. Has uh, anyone been in? Uh, aye. Who? Speak, speak out. I confound you. you. You mumble so I can hardly hear you. Uh, a gentleman to be shaved and he went away again. I don't know what put you in such a passion, Mr. Todd. I'm sure nothing... What's it to you? Begin to think of shutting up, I think, for we'll have no more customers tonight, you know. I'm tired now. You, you've got to sleep under the counter, you know. Aye, sir. You told me so. I dare say I should be very comfortable there. You've not been peeping and prying about, has you? Not at all. Not looking even into that cupboard, I suppose, eh? It unlocked, but there's no reason why you should look into it. I should not think of taking such a liberty. Not that there be any secrets in. Of course not. But I object to peeping and prying upon Christian principle. Thou shalt not snoop. Well, uh, Mazda, I want a clean shave. Colonel Jeffrey. Oh, tis rather late. I mean, I suppose you would not like to wait till morning. I, I don't know if I've got any more hot water. Oh, cold will do. Oh, if you must, you must. But, but cold, bless you, no, sir. We never shave in cold water. Tis terrible late, Mr. Todd. Shouldn't we... Uh, Charlie, uh, take the gentleman's hat. Aye, sir. Colonel, tis I, Joanna. I know. Hush. Uh, sit down, sir, and we'll soon settle the business. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I can't go to bed comfortable without a clean shave, do you see? 
I have come up from Braintree with beasts on commission, and I'm staying at the Bull's Head, you see. Oh, indeed, the Bull's Head. I mean, you're going swank. Aye, that I am, Master. Why, I brought up a matter of 220 beasts, I did, you see, and was on my pony as good a stepper as you'd wish. I sold them all, you see, for 550 pun. <laughs> good work, that, you see. And only 42 of them was my beast, do you see? Uh, Charlie, uh, get some hot water. There's a good lad. So, um, you were saying, sir, what that you sold them all? Aye, Master, I did. I've got the money in my pocket now, in banknotes. I never leaves my money about at inns, do you see, Master? Safe find, safe find, do you see? I carries it about with me. Oh, a good plan, too. <laughs> uh, Charlie! Aye, oh, sir? Whilst I'm polishing off this gentleman, you may as well just run to Mr. Laurie at Telson's and ask for his wig. We'll have to do it in the morning and may as well have it the first thing in the day to begin with. You needn't hurry, neither. We'll shut up when you comes back. Can I not stay and study you at your craft, Mr. Todd? Go on, my boy. Here's a shilling. Buy yourself a treat. Oh, thank the generous uh, gentleman, Charlie, and uh, run along. Sir, you mustn't be alone with Sweeney Todd. Eh? Uh, that is, if I stay, I can render the gentleman some service. Polish his boots. I appreciate your offer, laddie, but you must obey your master, you see. Don't be like my own boy, Joe. Joe, you see, Master, was ever disrespectful and at last ran off and never came back. I'm certain, sir, that he never would have left you had he perceived that you were in danger. Assuredly, in such an instance, you see, I would have urged the lad to flee and save himself. But... A mouthy lad, isn't he? <laughs> now get the blooming hell out of here or else. Aye, Mr. Todd. See you again, lad, I trow. Coxcomb. A nice-looking little lad, that. Uh, Charlie, uh, think you so? I do. Oh, why, sir, he's, uh, he's no lad at all. Is he not? Oh, no. What is he, then? A midget? A girl, obviously. <gasps> Alas, you say? I never would have guessed. Oh, you must have the eyes of a bat. Her old man makes spectacles. You ought to go round to his shop and get a pair. You see, Charlie's really a comely young neighbour girl, name of Johanna. She come around a snoop, counterfeiting an orphan boy, wanting a situation. So I, I gives her one, thinking all the better to keep me eye on her. <laughs> Why the masquerade, do you suppose? Oh, disguises is quite the fashion in London these days, sir. I counterfeited a swell myself just a fortnight ago to cousin a moneylender. But you wouldn't know anything about such things, would you, sir? Why, no, of course not. In Miss Johanna's case, she hopes to find a string of pearls. The same pretty little string of pearls that you is after. Colonel! All right, and that was Sweeney Todd and the String of Pearls. Again, Yuri Rosovsky. Uh, Blackstone Audio has plenty of his titles as well as Audible. Uh, again, those links, uh, audibletrial.com forward slash radiodrama gives you a free 14-day trial, and blackstoneaudio.com gets you directly to the publisher, and you can buy from them direct and some links uh, for affiliate-type stuff on radiodrama. Revival.com, uh, if you want to uh, support them and support this show at the same time. we got one more dose of that coming for you next week before we get on to our holiday programming, which is going to be a little bit different, as it always is here on the show. 
And of course, to keep your appetite up for audio, there are over 200 hours of audio programming at radiodramarevival.com. You can follow us on Twitter, hit up at Radiodrama, search Facebook, got the Radio Drama Revival page, or on iTunes, search for Radio Drama Revival. Uh, iTunes, you know, if you see anybody with an iPad or iPod or iPhone, um, get on the iTunes store for them and send them up for this podcast with you. <laughs> okay. Uh, that wraps up for this week. Radio Drum Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalgh. Copyright of individual shows remains their original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you'd like. Radio Drum Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Southern Maine's Community Radio. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as labor to love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. Mm-hmm.